Lord, I pray that this would be the prayer of our hearts. That we would be able with great confidence and intimacy say, I am yours. And you are mine. And so Lord, I pray for the wife here who's just struggling within her marriage. Experiencing tension and grief. She didn't know it was going to be this hard. Lord, would you comfort her right now? I pray, Lord, that you strengthen the youth here that are experiencing so much pressure from their peers. You would remind them that their identity can be found in Christ and not in the opinions of others. Lord, I pray for the singles here that are struggling with their singleness. Lord, may they find a deep relationship with you. Lord, also those here who are struggling with their health. Doctor keeps on giving bad news after bad news. Their body keeps on breaking down. And Lord, what they need is, is your presence and your comfort to endure them through this terrible suffering. Lord, I pray for this community, that you would draw this community to yourself, that you would use us as a loving place where others can find out about Jesus that live right here in this community, that we would be effective with sharing the gospel with our friends and that you would be famed and we would be overjoyed. Have your way in and through this service, in and through our thoughts, in and through our minds. Because you, O oh God, are wonderful beyond measure. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Great job, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Great job. So grateful to see you here. Really grateful to have you here. Um, at the Recovery House of Worship. Today, we are speaking uh, on toxic religion. And it's one, a very serious topic uh, that has real consequences. Because the fact is, some of us have experienced the kind of toxic religion that kept us from God for years. Maybe some of us were put our trust as young children in uh, religious figures and they, they broke that trust. Maybe we're uh, inundated with the news of perhaps other religious people who have misused their authority and their power. Like just recently, um, just recently, uh, and I struggled with this with using images, and the reason that I struggled with using images is because I don't want us to be distracted. We're talking about toxic religion, but more than I want you to be able to recognize toxic religion in other places, I want you to rec recognize toxic religion in this place. That if you see it here, that you would be able to speak love and speak truth into that. So I don't want us to lose that. But uh, just recently, uh, Creflo Dollar um, made a campaign uh, because he needed an upgrade on his jet, a $65 million jet. And um, we see that and we go, oh my gosh, that's toxic. But honestly, I was looking at it, I was like, man, this is not a bad idea. I could use a raise. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I could do this and... Uh... So we see that and we go, oh, of course. That's an abuse of power. That's a poor stewardship of finance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's toxic. Or perhaps we remember when Bishop Robert Finn had to resign and even had charges pressed on him because he did not report the sexual abuse that was happening within his authority. Uh, we see that. Now, this is far more serious than uh, what we just spoke about. But either way, we look at that and we go, of course, that's toxic. We don't want to have anything to do with that. 
But today, when we talk about toxic religion, I'm not going to be speaking about any of these guys. I'm not going to be talking about the kind of toxic religion that is so obvious that you and I make ourselves feel better because we look at that and we go, at least I'm not like them. I want to talk about the toxic religion that's found in your heart. The kind of toxic religion that chokes out the gospel. The kind of toxic religion in the heart of the person sitting in your seat that doesn't allow the freedom and the joy of Christ to flourish. That's the kind of toxic religion I want to talk about today. My prayer is that we would really receive from God's word. Now, before we stand, because we're going to stand in a second, don't yet. One of the things that we do here is we stand at the reason, reading of God's word because we recognize that God's word is higher. God's word is higher than my opinion, higher than the culture, the Puerto Rican culture that I grew up in, higher than uh, the culture that you grew up in, higher than the philosophies of this world, that the word of God stands above and we are not a church, we are not a church that stands above, but we stand below God's word in authority unto God's word. I know that word authority is kind of a curse word nowadays, but it really is. God's word is true and good and better for us than our philosophies and thoughts and ideas. So we stand at the reading of God's word because we want to be reminded, oh wait, what we're going to speak, what we're going to read is better than what we think or what we feel. So, in that uh, spirit, I want us to stand at the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, although I know that in your bulletins we have, uh, it goes all the way to 12. We're only going to have time to look at verses 1 through 6, but please feel free. I want you to read uh, the chapters before this. Read the whole book of Galatians. Honestly, if you sat down and read the whole book of Galatians, if you're a slow reader like me, it'll take 20 minutes max. I mean, it's, it's just an easy read. Not an easy read, it's a fast read. But um, we'll read it together, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This is God's Word. Have a seat. So here's the thing. We look at toxic religion and we can see it everywhere else. We can see toxic religion when we hear uh, of the scandals that happen, but w whether we can see toxic religion within our own soul is the question. Paul is speaking to a group of people that he loves deeply. He wants them to grow in the beauty and the freedom of Christ. But he sees that they're relapsing into old philosophical, old religious behaviors. They've received Christ, but they've only received Christ as one more thing to their religion. Like many of you have who are listening to me right now. You grew up, maybe you grew up Pentecostal, or perhaps it was Catholic, Mormon, or Jehovah Witness. Maybe you grew up Catholic or Muslim or Jewish. You have a, a, a tradition that you come from. And so you find Christ, and you find Christ beautiful and, and freedom-giving, and you find Him and you rejoice in Him. But little by little, Christ just starts being one among other gods. 
He starts being just one more thing that you place on your religious duties to God. Paul is speaking against this here, and he's using unbelievably strong language. He wants them to get this, because he knows that if they fall back to their old traditions, their old religions, their old way of thinking and behaving, they're going to lose the joy and the freedom that's found in Christ. So Paul speaks with very strong language. This might be an uncomfortable uh, message for some of us. I don't know where you are, but I want you to give it a real hearing because honestly, it's totally radical. The message that Paul gives here is absolutely outside of the box. Some of you won't even have a compartment in your mind for the things that Paul says. So I want you to listen close because he's going to say something really powerful. So let's look at it a little bit more carefully now. He says in verse 1 of chapter 5 in the book of Galatians, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stop. You know, for some of us, we go, no. It is for bondage that Christ has set us free. Perhaps you're here as a visitor and you say to yourself something like, no, 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 no. In religion, there's all sorts of bondage. In religion, there's all sorts of slavery. In fact, uh, some of us, Come And maybe we grew up in a church and it was very, very legalistic and we, we, we look at religion and we go, oh, no, 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 freedom is where my friends are. Freedom is where my friends who are outside of the church, that's where real freedom is. We, we, we think of Christ, we don't think of him in terms of one who brings us or begets us freedom. We look at him as one who stifles our freedom. But Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why? Let me ask you, and I'm going to ask you, I want you to answer me. Why has Christ set us free? Anybody know? For freedom. But you go, I'm not free. Ah, then we're starting to touch at some of the toxicity in your religion. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, we can do an entire service on this issue of freedom. Freedom is not doing everything that pops into your head. You know what we call those people who do everything that pops into their heads? Convicts. Right? Freedom, freedom is not doing everything that pops up into your head. That's not freedom at all. Because, right, you do enough of that, and then you find your freedom taken from you. Isn't that true? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even if you don't go to jail... Yeah, you, 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 you do whatever you want to do. And then, you know, what, we have a, nerve, a name for those people who just do everything that they want to do. We call them addicts. People who are consumed and driven by a God, not Jesus. Freedom is not doing everything that you want to do. Freedom is finding joy in doing what the Lord wants you to do. And by the way, there's tons of joy in what the Lord wants you to do. So we could do a whole sermon on just this one verse. We don't have time for that. I pray that you would just read and meditate on it when you go home. I hope you know that that's what I desire for you, that you would have as much joy, that you would, man, experience as much freedom and joy and tears when you read God's word um, as I do. And so I want you to go home and I want you to read God's word um, and experience joy. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, since it's true that Christ has set us free for freedom's sake. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So what Paul is saying is that there was, there was a moment when they thought that they were free, but they were really in slavery. Now, the people that he's talking about come from a uh, religious background. So they had rules and they had um, ideas, and they had philosophies that they thought, oh, this is wonderful, this is great. But Paul, when he presented the gospel, they were like, oh my gosh, this is so much better. This is not rules, this is not fear, this is relationship with Jesus. This is amazing. But they were starting to go back to the old stuff. Now, 
Let me see if I can illustrate what it means to go back to the old law keeping. When we have a relationship with God in Christ, what happens is, is that everything that you and I need for freedom, joy, satisfaction, peace, beauty, everything that we need for every minute of every day. Some of us think that salvation is something that God did in our past. I'm telling you, he saves us moment by moment, minute by minute. He gives us beauty and honor and joy. It's every single second of the day that Christ is continuing to save us. He saved us, and that's done. We're his, and then he continues to save us each day. Gives us joy, saves us from from fear and anxiety, saves us from all those things that we go through in life. And then he will save us on the last day when he calls us up to meet him in the air. Won't that be a glorious day? Well, what happens is, is that they grew up with this religious idea, these religious things, and they wanted to go back to them. So it's kind of like this. Um, if you're married, you, you, you get this, right? Especially if you're a guy, and if you're a guy who's been married and who's blown it. So let me give you my experience, because I'm a guy who's been married and blown it quite a bit, right? So I forgot my wife's 30th birthday. Oh, my. That's a bad thing. Anybody say, anybody know that that's a bad thing, right? Like, you know, like, you know, there's a transition, right? You're no longer a young lady in your 20s. Now you're 30. That means something serious to women, evidently, as I discovered. Um, And so, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I forgot my wife's 30th birthday. Bad Pastor Edwin. Bad Pastor Edwin. But, but by God's grace, because I'm led by the Spirit. Actually, I wasn't saved back then. But um, it, just, it just happened. It just so happened that I brought home flowers. She was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Why'd you bring the flowers? I was like, just because. And I didn't know that was like the worst answer you could give in the history of marriage. Right? So I was like, so I was like, you know, why are you, you know, four hours later, why do you seem upset? <laughs> right? Four hours later, it's, you know, it's my birthday. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know. <laughs> of course it's your birthday. That's why I got you the flowers. I was just teasing. Um, it was terrible. But I realized in that moment, I came to the conclusion in that moment that I was going to have to buy a lot more flowers if I was going to get in my wife's good graces again, right? Pause. That's what some of us think our relationship with God is like. Like God is like an angry wife who we've messed up with. And so our efforts to relate to God is just a series of buying flowers and bringing flowers and hoping that he'll finally like us again. Now, we bring flowers in many different ways. Perhaps if you're Pentecostal, what you do when you've blown it is that you make every single one of the church, you make the early, uh, you know, early morning rise, uh, you know, Sunday service, right? And then you make the, 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 the midday service, and then you make the nighttime evangelistic service, and then you make the service on Mondays because, you know, you know what's a Monday without another service on the Tuesday? Like, you know, you, you, you read your Bible a lot, and you get on your knees, and you cry out to God in prayer, spending many hours speaking in tongues, crying out to God, Hoping that this is enough flowers. Hoping that he'll be kind to you now. Maybe you're Catholic. You come from a Catholic background. And so you go to your priest and you, you, and you say, oh, I know the flowers I need to bring to God. I go, I open the door and I tell the confession and he gives me instruction and then I give uh, finances and pray prayers and light candles and hopefully that's enough, that's enough roses for God. Maybe. Maybe, maybe if you're Muslim, the flowers that you bring are like, oh man, now I'm going to go back to, you know, praying to Mecca and on my knees and five times a day. And oh boy, I hope that's enough flowers, God. Perhaps you're Jewish and you got to keep your diet just right. And, you know, you make sure you don't eat this kind of food. And hey, was this meat prayed over? Is it okay? Is it kosher? And, 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 and you pray. That's the kind of... Or maybe you don't have any religious background at all. And you say, ha ha, I don't bring any flowers to God because I don't even believe in God. But you have a way of dealing with a guilty conscience. 
And what you do is on Thanksgivings, you go and you serve at the local mission, or perhaps you give money, $25 to those orphans in Africa, and you have a way of, your God is not God in heaven, your God is your conscience, and you just want to make yourself feel better. So you cross the little old lady across the street, and you hope that that's enough flowers to make yourself feel better. All of us have a way of going back to something else other than Jesus. It's the flowers that we bring. We've forgotten the birthday. I don't know how you forget the birthday. Maybe you clicked on something you shouldn't have seen. Perhaps you were uh, in an argument and you let your temper get the best of you. Maybe you uh, were at work and you fudged the numbers so that you could get better uh, results. Or perhaps you wrote a receipt in to get more money. Or, I don't know, cheated on your taxes. Whatever you do that's wrong and sinful, whatever you do, you have a way of trying to bring God flowers so that he is not mad with you anymore. And for the Christian, Jesus is saying, no more flowers. For the Christian, Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to be good. I was good for you. Now that's radically different from everything we've ever heard. Isn't that true? Most of Americans, if you check out the polls, and all the polls agree with this, most of Americans think the way you get to heaven is by being good. Now, that's, that's sad for most of America, but it's tragic when you're in this church and you think that the way to get to heaven is by being good. No, the point of the gospel, and here's the not gospel in a nutshell, is that you're worse than you think. Only, did you know that only really bad people go to heaven? It's true. It's true. If you don't believe me, look around, right? No, really. Bad people go to heaven. Bad people go to heaven who are forgiven by Christ. Who recognize their badness and recognize Christ's goodness. It's by his stripes we're healed. By his sacrifice. By his work for us. He's the righteous one. And our righteousness comes from him. Now, I know for some of us, we don't even have a compartment in our mind for what I just said. You're trying to figure out what I'm just saying, and you're either rebelling against me really, really bad, or you're just trying to figure it out. Like, this, this is impossible. You've got to explain this more. Uh, all right, if you keep on coming back to this church, I try to explain this in absolutely every service. So keep on coming back, and it will become more clear. Paul, however, sees that they're doing this exact same thing, that they're going back to the other things. It's Jesus plus something else. That will make me happy. Jesus plus this kind of morality. Jesus plus this kind of tradition. Jesus plus this kind of self-sacrifice. It's and then God will like me. Here are my flowers. Paul says, no, that's bondage. That's slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery going back to that kind of thinking. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will have no value to you at all. Now listen up. Paul is dealing with a very specific tradition. He's dealing with a very specific religion. But I think it applies to all of us. At least the principle does. So the way that this group of people would get back to their traditional roots, get back to their, is that they would put, Je they're not leaving Jesus. None of them would say, we're, if you said, hey, you're leaving Jesus, none of them would say, we're leaving Jesus. No, 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 we just found, we just heard of Christ. We love Jesus. There's no way we're going to leave Jesus. We're just adding something. And to them, it was circumcision. It was circumcision. So what is circumcision? Circumcision was something that God instituted in the Old Testament to distinguish his people from all the other people of the world. 
So what happened was, if for those of you who don't know, and of course we have to be very sensitive, there are young ears in the room, but basically it's, um, it's, uh, 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 it's uh, taking the male member and cutting the tip of the skin off, and, and that was the distinguishing mark for a religious follower of God. Paul is saying, no, you missed the point. The distinguishing mark of the follower of God is not to be found on your body, but it's to be found on the body of Christ. The distinguishing mark is not to be found in you cutting a a piece of your skin off, but it was that Christ was cut off from the Father. And because of Him, we are now grafted unto the vine. We have been loved by God. He has paid for our penalty. He has suffered for our iniquity. He has given us an opportunity. He has given us a way to come back. It's not you cutting yourself. It's in Christ being sacrificed for your behalf. And he's saying, when you add circumcision to that, you miss the whole point of what Christ went through. You miss it. It, Christ is no value to you. Again, I declare, verse 3, again, I declare. Now, it's, it's really important that we hear what Paul is doing here. Paul is practically screaming through this page. Do you think that these people know that Paul was writing before he said in verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you. Do you think they knew that Paul was, of course they did. He, he, he introduces himself at the very beginning of the letter. The fact that the church is reading this letter at all is because they know it comes from Paul. Why would Paul have to reiterate that he's writing to them? Let me tell you why. He is using all of his juice, all of his authority. What he's saying right now is so important that if they miss it, they miss everything. They miss it all. By the way, the message that I'm trying to communicate to you today is so important. You know why? Because if you don't understand this message, you'll be a miserable Christian. You'll be in a service like this one wondering why you want to kill yourself. You'll be in a service like this one wondering why you keep on going back to the same old sin that you keep on going back to. You'll be in a service like this one eventually disgusted with the things of God because you never actually pursued God. It's the difference between joy and misery. It's the difference between freedom and bondage. I want you to be free, so I want you to listen to what he's saying because it has great, great value. Verse 3 says, again, I declare, every man who lets himself be circumcised, be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Now what Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to take that aspect, if you're going to add anything onto Christ, now you have to add the whole thing. He goes, because now Christ is no good for you. Like Christ is not your all in all. And so he's saying, you're obligated to obey the whole law. And now we're in, hey, did I pray long enough? Did I read my Bible long enough? Have I been coming to church long enough? You know, that's not what they're thinking, but we we could attribute it to ourselves that their religious background might be different from ours, but how would we respond if we were to be Uh, enslaved again to the philosophies of the past. Oh, oh, be a good person. Always tell the truth. But what happens? You just lied. Oh, okay, well, I got to try harder and do better at being a good person. And maybe if I give money to a a charity, then maybe that'll make up for the lie that I told. Yeah, but you, you know, you, you really don't give that much. and oh, Okay, but what if I do service at the local mission? You see, it leads you to bondage over and over again. And if you do that long enough, you eventually bail. You eventually leave. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You're going to be a slave to this thing. This, this doesn't end. It is a snowball effect. It has a snowball effect. Verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law. In other words, you who are trying to be good. So let me just, when you hear the word law, you who are trying to make yourself good in God's eyes by focusing on making yourself good. Let me tell you the ways we do that in Christianity. We come to Christian services like this one. Now let me ask you something. Do I want you here at this Christian service? Of course I do. 
I want you to enjoy God's word. I want you to learn from God's word. But this service doesn't save you. It's a benefit. It has some benefits. It'll give you, it will share some wisdom that'll be uh, a gift to you. But if you come here in order to be made right with God, you've missed the point. You go, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to read God's word. I'll read it every day. Every day I'm going to read God's word. Well, wait, wait, wait. If you read God's word for the sole purpose of maybe God will like you, maybe you've, done, you've checked your God uh, list off, then you're reading God's wrong word for the wrong reasons. It'll be of no value to you. Maybe, maybe it's by giving finances to the church. Well, I feel better when I give finance. No, no, no. Listen. Maybe it's clean time or being sober. You go, oh man, if I, this is good. This is good. Listen. None of that, none of that creates relationship with you in Christ. Now, let me just say, if you're clean and sober, things go better, you know, right? Not, not a bad idea. Please be clean and sober, right? Like, don't drink, please. Don't use. That's not what I'm saying. But if that is the reason, or if that is the basis by which you get your relationship with God, you've missed it completely. You've missed it completely. And if you're sitting here and you're going, good night, what am I doing here? <laughs> if this doesn't count for anything, why am I here? Right? What's the purpose of listening to you? Of which I would say, good question. But, <laughs> however, I would say that if the only reason that you have for pursuing Christ is fear that you won't be in relationship with Christ, let me suggest you're not pursuing Christ. You're running from fear. If the only reason you have to be clean is not the pain that you went through in the past, then let me suggest to you that you're not pursuing Christ. You're fleeing from pain. If the only reason you tell the truth is so that God doesn't like strike you down or is not mad with you, then let me suggest that you're not pursuing Christ. You're avoiding pain. You see, Christ is his own happy ending. Christ is his own reward. Christ is his own joy all by himself. And when we pursue Christ, isn't it terrible? Isn't it terrible? And, and, and even if you're not married, you know that this is terrible. When a husband pursues his wife just for like what he can get at night, like that's a terrible thing, right? You go, are you kidding me? This is the only reason you took me out to dinner? It's like, it should have been a nicer restaurant, really, because. But isn't that a shame? Doesn't that, like, doesn't that break your heart? Nobody likes to be used. Nobody likes to be taken advantage of. God doesn't either. And yet you and I will fall back to whatever circumcision looks like for us. Don't curse. Don't use. Don't, you know, make sure you make the service. Make sure you don't miss a Sunday. Beloved, relationship with Christ is not that silly. It's more beautiful than that. Now, because I love Jesus, I make the service because I think God's word is awesome. Because I love Jesus, I treat my wife well because I think God is awesome. Because I love Jesus, I pour into my children because I think God is awesome. There's a different motivation. But it's not it's a different animal altogether. Let's keep on going. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. In other words, Christ, you're no longer in Christ. You're like far from Christ. You're not experiencing the joy of Christ. You have fallen away from grace. In other words, there are grace-filled lives and religious-filled lives. Lives. I want you to feel and live a grace-filled life life. Grace so that you go, everything I have is not of my doing, but it's God's gift to me. I am so grateful. Law, everything I have, I've earned, so I better hold on to it tight. Grace, every opportunity that God has given, every opportunity that I've been given has been given to me by God, and that humbles me. 
Every opportunity that I have has been given to me because of my hard work, so I become proud. See, it's, a, it's like living life opposite one another. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So I want to illustrate this kind of life. Now, there are three different ways to live, three different types of ways to relate to God. Most people think that there's two. One, there's living religious, and then there's irreligious. Rob, would you come up for a moment, please? Run up, quick. So as Rob comes up, most people think that there's three ways to live, two ways to live life. One is that you're like a hellion, right? You know what I'm saying when I say hellion? Like you just like, you don't have anything to do with God. God doesn't come up to your radar. God is not, you know, you, you're an, you live totally divorced from God. You don't want to have anything to do with God. You're your own law. You're your own philosophy. That's you. And then there's the religious people. Those who uh, love God, follow God, you know, pursue God. And those are the only two types of people in the world. There's not. There's three types of people. There are the hellions, totally disobedient, don't want anything to do with God. And then there's two types of religious people. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. So let's, the hellion, we're going to ignore for a second, okay? Let's just imagine that guy doesn't exist. Right now we're going to focus on uh, two types of religious people. There's the kind of religious person who is driven by the gospel of grace. Who's driven by Jesus' love and sacrifice and all that God has done for him. And then there's the other kind that uses Jesus just to feel better. And Jesus is something on top of everything else. So here's how that works out. So Rob and I, we're pursuing a, um, we're pursuing a, uh, a thing in our job, a, uh, a pay increase and a um, promotion. So we're pursuing a promotion at our job. Now, Rob and I go to the same church. We sit under the same teaching. We read the Bible exactly the same amount a day. We pray exactly the same time a day. We um, uh, avail ourselves to the Christian radio, the same one. We are identical in every way, married to the same uh, type of woman. We are identical in every way. Rob is going for the promotion at his job, and I'm going for the promotion at my job. Me and Rob spend just as much time on the report. We do just as much footwork. We call just as many people. We give it at exactly the same time to our boss, and the boss goes with someone else. Doesn't go with either him or me. Now, Rob is the grace-filled follower of Christ who adds no law to his gospel. And so Rob is deeply disappointed because he believes that God would have been honored with the finances that he uh, gave him, that God would have been honored with the, with, the, with the authority and the stewardship. He believes that he would have been able to honor God. So he feels, he feels sad about it, but it doesn't devastate him. It doesn't make him want to commit suicide. But because he recognizes that he's not a winner if he gets the job, and he's not a loser if he loses his job, because his identity is in Jesus. He recognizes that one day there will be a very big promotion in his life and that will be in Christ where he is called up to meet him in the air, getting a new body, never having to worry about anything ever again when Christ returns. He recognizes that that's the real promotion of life, that this is just a little thing. He's sad, but it doesn't kill him. But the religious guy, me, I... I go, are you kidding me, God? That was supposed to be for me. You know, if you would have given me that job, I would have started to tithe. And, and if you would have given me that job, I would have given a lot of money to the church. Oh, I'm such a loser. Oh, I'm such a... Why does that guy do this? Why? Because his identity is not in Christ. His identity is found in whether or not he can get the new job. Whether or not he can make the money. Now, we look exactly the same. However, living life in the gospel is far different than living the life by law. Are you seeing it now? Okay. Marriage. We'll move to married people. Okay? So, 
Rob is married to the same type of girl. We go to the same church. You get what I'm saying, right? Same thing. We're identical in every way, right? Rob, his wife is difficult. She, um, she, doesn't, um, she, she, she doesn't seem to, to respect him. She doesn't seem to show him a whole lot of affection. It's, it's rough for him. But Rob is filled with love from Jesus. So he's not loving his wife to get his wife to love him back. He's overflowing the love of Christ unto his wife. He couldn't stop himself from loving his wife because he feels so loved by Christ. His beauty, his manhood is not found in his wife's affections. It's found in Christ's affections. And so he overflows that love on his wife. And his wife is just as fresh and she's just as unrepentant. But he finds his joy in loving her well because he realizes that he's been loved well himself and that his wife is just a reflection. Oh my gosh, she's rebelling against me. You mean, Jesus, this is the way I look like when I rebel against you? Oh my God, thank you for giving me such grace and mercy. And that mercy and grace overflows on his wife. So he's not mad with her. He loves her. But the religious guy, me, I'm loving my wife for the reward that I can get that night. And she doesn't give me that reward. And so now I'm becoming bitter and angry. And all I can think about is divorce and what a new life and a new wife would feel like. Because my needs are not being met. You know why? Because Jesus is not my God, my wife is. Jesus doesn't justify me, my wife does. Jesus doesn't give me pleasure, my wife does. Are you see where we're going with this? And so what happens is, is now I don't love my wife purely like the gospel. I love my wife with, uh, with uh, ulterior motive. I love my wife with, an, with, a, with a, something up my sleeve. It's not gospel love. And so my wife is just as fresh and my wife is just as nasty to me. And I go, you know what? After all I do for you, I can't take it anymore. I'm out of here. Same circumstances, same church, same teaching, same, same gospel presented before us. One lived in law, me. One lived in the gospel, Rob. Okay, now we're going to change things up. We're going to be, um, so, all right, you get that illustration? All I'm doing is trying to illustrate what Paul has been saying right here in Galatians 1, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, okay? You, you have time for one more? Can I give you one more illustration? Okay, okay, so now watch this. Here's, a, here's, a, here's another, here's another uh, illustration, right? Now, Rob and I, we're both women, right? Yeah, oh, here we go. There we are. Okay. So now, we're both women, right? So now, I just, uh, just imagine that. Good night. You're like 12 years old. Honestly. Oh, all right. Little maturity. Okay. So, all right. Come back. Come back. Come back. This is important. We're both women. We're both women and we're both single. We're 39 years old. We're 39 years old and tomorrow's our 40th birthday. We desperately, desperately want a husband. We want a family. But man, the clock, forget about it, the clock is ticking. The clock done tuck. <laughs> and like, the window of opportunity is almost non-existent. And, and we both, same church, same teaching, same Bible, same prayer, same everything, right? But the gospel-filled woman, the uh, clock hits Midnight, and she becomes 40, and she feels a great sense of loss. She really did want a, a family. She really, she, really wanted, she really felt like she had a lot of love to give some children. She really wanted a life that she could share with a husband. Nothing, nothing bad, no bad things, just beautiful things. And she cries. And the reason that she does is because she feels like she has a loss. But she goes to Christ and she says, Jesus, remind me again how you call me your spouse. Remind me again that even if I don't get a marriage here on earth, you come back as my husband, my groom. 
Remind me again that if I don't have any physical, biological children, you can help me to bear spiritual children who are new to the gospel, who I can raise up as babes in Christ and who I can grow in Christ and pour my life into. And not only do you give me spiritual children, but you give me spiritual brothers and sisters and, and, and mothers and fathers and, and how you fulfill me in the gospel. All my joy comes from you. You fulfill me. But there's tears and there's loss, right? But it's in a gospel way. Same, same girl, 39, midnight, now I'm 40. I go, God, I can't believe you've allowed this to happen. Look at Susie. She doesn't follow you. She doesn't love you. And she has three children and a husband she doesn't deserve. She doesn't even treat him well. And look at my life. Am I this ugly? Am I this bad? What, what kind of curse are you putting on me? You know what? After all I've done to follow you, forget you. Because my identity is found in who loves me. My identity as a woman is found in the children that I bear rather than the one who bared the cross for me. It's, it's amazing how you could be in the same church, read the same Bible, on the same teaching, pray the same prayers, and live two totally different lives. Paul is saying, you've fallen from grace. You've not experienced the gospel. You've missed the point. It's so close, yet an infinite distance away. Because your identity is not found in Christ. Your beauty is not found in Christ. Your worth is not found in Christ. It's Jesus plus something else. Paul is saying, that's toxic religion. And it won't save you. Not in the real moments of life. Let's thank Rob for being up here. Thank you, Rob. So, verse 6, verse 5. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. I love this. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Here's what it is. What he's saying, that the only thing that counts is when we're in Christ and we experience the love for Christ and then that love overflows into others. That's the only thing that matters. That's the freedom that we're all looking for. Well, let me ask you something. What would it be like if you stopped being toxic in your religion? What would it be like if you stopped being toxic in your religion and actually found your identity? What would depression be like for you? God, I don't feel good right now. In fact, all I want to do is kill myself, but I know that if I have no hope in myself, I have hope in Christ, and I hold on to that hope for dear life. What would, what would talk, how would the toxicity in your religion change? If in your finances, it wasn't about how many zeros you had in your bank account, but who had you? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if your beauty, ladies, was not found in the affections of a man, but in the sacrifice of the man who gave himself up? For you, that's how precious you are to Jesus. That no matter what the other men have said, it's nothing. It's lies, boulder dash, not true. In comparison to the truth that Jesus speaks to you, that you're beautifully and wonderfully made. What would the toxicity in your relationship, in your religion, be like, men? If life was no longer having to prove that you're enough, but recognizing that Jesus is man enough for you, and that the strength that you have comes from him, and the direction you'll receive comes from him. Oh, man. Like, I'm telling you, life, it's like, it's like life in HD+. It's like, it's the difference between, it's, I'm telling you, it's the difference between radio, hearing a radio movie, 
and watching a, a movie in high definition. It's, it's like night and day. It's like there's no comparison. So what are you going to do? Are you going to go on living a toxic religious life? I pray you don't. I pray you don't. Are, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue in your toxic religion, adding stuff to Jesus? What are you going to do? I hope not. I hope that today, here's what we do. Go, here's the truth about me, Jesus. My religion is toxic. I want you, but I want you on top of everything else. Lord, would you just point that sin out in me, in my marriage, in my singleness, in my job, with my finances, with the way I physically look, with the way I physically feel, with every area of my life. Would you point out the toxicity in my relationship to you and pull it out so that there's nothing that's left but Jesus. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, this hits us in so many different ways. It just... I look at my own life, Lord, and I see all, I don't know if I see them all, but I see a lot of toxic places. Places where I look to get my identity, sometimes from this church, sometimes from the comments of people. Man, Lord, would you just keep me from that? Would you make it so that I would find my delight and rest and beauty and manhood and joy and satisfaction and security and everything that I need in life would find that in Jesus. Celebrating that I already have all of these riches in Christ already. Lord, would you, would you keep us from toxic religion? The kind where it has us trying and efforting and struggling and make us to gospel people where we're resting and trusting, trusting in you. Change our hearts, Lord, to the gospel. We thank you for this series. Lord, we ask that you Apply this to our hearts. Help us to see where we've grown a bit toxic. For we pray in Jesus' name.